Welcome to episode number 23 of Users First, a UX design podcast. I'm your host, Alessio Fracuri, and today our special guest is Priyama Barra, an enthusiastic designer and strategist who's been working at MedPal as the Experience Strategy Director. Priyama has quite a wide knowledge in the design areas of design thinking, human-centered design, service design, experience strategies, business design, much more. While looking into people's experiences with products and services to find ways to make their interactions seamless. Her main job is to rely to relay this information to businesses that are looking to invest in better customer experience. And that's what we'll talk about today. We'll touch base on her approach with designing for newcomers as well as her experience with medical health design. Welcome to this episode, Priyama, of uh, Users First. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Actually, thank you for coming. I know you're a very busy woman and I uh, appreciate the time that you, that you spent coming to this podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself, how you came um, you know, to becoming the experience strategy director that you are uh, nowadays in MedPo. I know you have um, many degrees, you had a lot of educational experience, which is great. You also have lots of um, lots of work experience in many in many different places. How did you how did you become the uh, experience strategy director that you are nowadays? Yeah, um, I've had quite the journey. Um, I think my um, just with design started very early. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in graphic design. Uh, so I started very much like a graphic, uh, like a regular graphic designer. And uh, shortly after I graduated, I started a business working um, to help small startups um, establish their design strategy. And uh, doing that, I did that for about six years, working very closely with the people responsible for the business. I started getting a sense of um, being able to influence the business strategy as well. Um, so I realized that this is something I want to do more of and uh, came moved to the U.S. from India, uh, studied design management um, and did my MBA as well uh, while working with MadPow. Um, and I've had the opportunity to work with some of the biggest companies in the world, um, trying to create a seamless customer experience for them. Absolutely. And how, how, was, the, how was your experience coming from a completely different country like India to United States, which is, you know, like big cities, lots of tech? What was it like? Um, it was very interesting. Um, it's uh, as expected, a lot of things were very different. Um, language is very different. I didn't realize how differently uh, we speak English um, in India as compared to how it's spoken here. Um, accents were different, how things work is different, people's mindset is different, and culture is different. Uh, it was a very interesting uh, learning experience. Um, I wouldn't say I had a culture shock because a lot of people think um, that's what people would have, but it was more of this new world that I had found to explore. Um, and I went to a school where there were a lot of people from different countries and um, it, was, it was all a process of exploring the newness of America together. Mm-hmm. Is, that, um, is that where you did your uh, latest MBA in, uh, in the United States, right? I, I did 
but I, I was speaking about my first master's uh, in design management uh, from mm -hmm. University of Bridgeport. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And yeah, congratulations on your MBA, by the way. I mean, it's it's amazing, you know, after after many years of, of like work experience, uh, you, you still manage to to advance advance your your education and you know not, not many people do that i think i think it's like extremely humble and it really shows that you're still like willing to learn i mean that's amazing you know Thank i know you. that <laughs> you're welcome I know that you're a very very active member of the design community uh you know linkedin uh your website your many talks uh in medpow you're also very active with uh workshops uh you like moderating events and so on and um i was wondering in one of your latest talks you talk about uh designing for for newcomers and uh you know as as we and um, you know we have both been in that um in, in that kind of um path as I was a newcomer uh, previously in the past few years and you probably were too and you know tell us a bit about um, designing for newcomers why did you feel that uh, this was, was 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 an industry that was lacking in design yeah absolutely um, I, I I realized very early um, that I had to learn things very quickly if I was to survive um, in this new atmosphere that I found myself in. Um, I think my first realization about this topic came when I was doing my master's thesis uh, in my design management program. And uh, the thesis was around recycling and it was around recycling right. And I realized in talking to people when I was doing research for that project, that no one knows how to recycle right in the US because it is an extremely complex thing to do. Um, and more specifically, people who are new to the country and uh, from countries where recycling doesn't even exist had no idea how to do it. And from there, I started realizing more and more about different industries. So at MadPower, I do a lot of work with healthcare. Um, I started realizing how much of an influence the newness of a product or service has on a person's experience with it. Um, it's people from different countries that are moving to the US to work, to study, to be with family. Some are just passing through, they're traveling, they might be here to get some healthcare um, uh, needs fulfilled, as well as some others that are here for business and meetings and just here for a short time and they have to go through many things like um, traveling on public transport, um, talking to or dealing with any of the immigration uh, websites and the forms they have to fill out and so many things they have to come into contact with that are not really designed to consider their needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah and, and you know when you when you go to another country that you have never been in before everything can be kind of overwhelming like you you were saying even even just like taking the bus you know how do i do that how do i how do i buy the ticket i don't know in my country works that you go to a station or maybe in another country good works that you do it online how do you do yeah. that I think, sometimes we give uh, we give things for granted while you know you should we should actually help people uh, give them information in front of them. What is 
yeah, what is the main issues that you you have encountered? Um, you know, researching researching for uh, newcomers. The main issue that you have seen the newcomers the newcomers were having uh, when coming to other countries. Absolutely. Um, I think I would put them in three different buckets. Uh, the first is language. So the variation in language. Um, it's not just that if someone is move, moving to a different country that um, they always don't speak that language. They might speak it, but speak it differently. Um, and differently could be the words that they use, the phrases that they use, as well as the accent, uh, their own accent and the accents of the people that they're interacting with. Secondly, it's culture. Um, as is expected, right? Uh, cultures all over the world are different. Um, and in some environments uh, that um, the difference in culture has a huge impact on whether that interaction with the product or service, that business is successful. And the third one is processes, um, not knowing how things work, um, which is again expected. Uh, but a lot of systems and processes um, are not designed in a way that they're intuitive. They just don't make sense the way they currently work. Um, so a person might want to or might have in their mind a mental model of how things work based on what they've experienced in their own country or where they're from. Uh, but suddenly they encounter a completely new way um, to do something. And I can give you some examples if you like. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about culture. Um, in the U.S., uh, so again, I'm from India. So one of the glaring examples of how culture influences an interaction with a service is in healthcare. Um, in India, when we go to a doctor, uh, doctors have a very revered status in society. We don't question them. We do what they ask us to do. We go to them and it's a one-way mm -hmm. conversation of them telling what, us what to do. But in the U.S., it's a very uh, it's a very conversational um, path to creating a healthcare plan. So doctors expect that the patient will ask them questions, will come up with their own suggestions on what needs to be done for their health, and together they will craft a plan. So doctors will almost ask the patient, "Okay, you have this option and that option. What do you want to do?" Um, so for people who are new and don't know this cultural nuance, they will never ask the doctor questions and the doctor will be expecting them to ask questions and there will be that missed uh, communication and that gap. Mm -hmm. So that's culture. And in process, um, another important thing there is, um, again, a lot of my, I know your listeners from, are from all over the world. I'm sure they'll be able to relate in some way, um, you know, extrapolate from what I'm thinking. But um, in the U.S., there is um, the uh, credit score system um, that is based off of how much money you borrow and pay back. Um, so if you're a person who borrows money and pays it back on a regular basis, you have a good credit score. So when you want to buy a house... Uh, you get a good rating, interest rate, uh, if you have a good credit score. But what I realized, I, I also do a lot of work in finance. And what I realized is that a lot of people in their minds think that 
if I save a lot of money and I have a lot of money in my savings account, then I will get a better interest rate because I have not borrowed money from anyone yet. So that must mean I am financially stable. So that's what I mean by intuitive and fitting into mental model of people. So it doesn't really match up that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I think the examples that you gave were perfect. <laughs> That's actually what, exactly what I was wondering. What kind of industries are most, are most suffering from not designing properly for newcomers? Like just, just like the example that you gave, for example, banks, probably banks are missing out so much for not giving out good information to newcomers. I mean, United States is and Canada are like good examples of countries getting immigrants all the time. If they're not designing things properly, they will suffer from it financially, but also in terms of reputation. What are the industries that you think are most affected by this um, miscommunication? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you raised a very good point that um, why it's important to be thinking about in countries that have a huge melting pot of people coming to the country, whether it's for immigrants, uh, immigration, or it's for people just traveling through for any other purposes. Um, so considering that, I think some examples are firstly government, uh, because you will have a lot of newcomers interacting with government, whether that's uh, applying for immigration items or getting a social security card or uh, paying your parking tickets, uh, just a whole range. So any government related uh, industry. Second is healthcare because everybody needs healthcare at some point. Um, and the system needs to be a little simpler and not daunting. Um, the third is finance, as you rightly said, uh, because everyone needs to open a bank account. Mm. They need a credit card. Um, they, uh, for a lot of people, that will be new system. The point system and credit cards is completely new for uh, many newcomers. Um, then is real estate. The U.S. especially is a place where a lot of immigrants are buying houses for the very first time. Um, a lot of people who are Americans are buying houses for the very first time. And the process is, I've heard repeatedly, I've done a few projects around real estate, but and I've heard re repeatedly that it's just unnecessarily complex, um, even if you are not an international person, uh, but you're just buying a house for the first time. Uh, then is hospitality. So uh, whether you work for the airlines, um, any sort of transportation, hotels, etc., because you will have tourists coming, you will have business travelers from all over the world, etc. Um, and then I think the last one I'll say is education, uh, which is, as you know, a lot of people come to the U.S. to study. Um, so. Uh, almost every university and college will have a huge body of international students. So the whole process of applying, getting used to how things work, helping them with graduation, uh, post-graduation um, paperwork, et cetera. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, you mentioned before that, um, you know, you started realizing these um, when you were in university, when there was a problem of recycling, um, 
which is still, I mean, nowadays, you know, there is still these issues. There is people that recycle, people that don't recycle. Uh, there is people that, you know, recycle, but then the actual city doesn't recycle. You know, it's kind of a mess. But that's a, that's another topic that unfortunately we're not going to talk about today. But how did you, how did you come to the realization that there is, you know, so many problems about newcomers and medical health, which you, you, you've worked in. How did you come to the realization of that? Did it, did it happen by talking to other like students that were in the same university as you? Um, I actually interviewed a lot of people when I first thought about this topic. Uh, so I interviewed a variety of people from all over the world, from different continents. So I spoke to someone in Africa, spoke to some um, someone from Asia, a couple of people from Asia, some folks from Europe. Um, I wanted to get an understanding of, you know, is, is this differences that I'm seeing only because I am South Asian or is this something that is... Uh, common across the world. Um, so I had their inputs and I, I also tried to talk to people who are students here to work, here to be with family, uh, might be passing through as a business traveler. I actually spoke to my friend's father who's Italian mm-hmm. uh, and he's a business traveler. And it was very interesting, you know, learning about his experiences here. Um, so that helped me gather this picture of the international newcomer experience. but. What I realized very quickly that this problem doesn't exist only for international people. Um, It also exists for the people who've lived here their whole lives. Um, It could be people that are, uh, have have just, you know, started adulting. Uh, They've just grown up and, you know, have their first job. It could be people who come back from military service. Um, it could be people that have a very strong uh, regional accent. Uh, it could be people that just move to a new place. Um, when I started doing interviews for MadPow, uh, we do a lot of ethnographic research, understanding people's experiences with healthcare, finance, real estate, washing machines, just a whole gamut of things that we try and understand. Uh, we get a good sense of um, how new they are to the process. So we make sure we recruit people that are buying a home for the first time or have gone to the ER only three months ago for the first time. Um, by doing that, we are able to understand their needs of people who are not expert users, uh, but new users. Um, quickly realize that even for people that are living in America their whole lives, a lot of these experiences are not designed for them, for a first-time user. Absolutely. I mean, there is a ton of confusion out there. I remember during my time, during my time in Canada, I spent, I spent around four years in Canada. First of all, in Canada, things should be, um, in theory, slightly better than the United States. I'm talking about the way the, the migration is organized. Um, I've, I'm talking about general reputation. I can't speak for the United States because I've never immigrated there. But uh, from what I heard online, they say that, you know, the Canadian process is, is, is easier and it's better than the one that is in the United States. And I can tell it is, it is very complicated. It is very complex, the immigration process, and it's not understandable. Uh, I mean, every, every step of the process feels so difficult that you're scared. And I don't feel that everyone should feel like that. 
And it's not only, it's not only in, then, you know, when, when the government is not displaying information properly, then like you were saying, other things follow along, like medical healthcare. How does the medical healthcare work? When you go to a hospital over there, um, there is not a proper explanation of how things work. They don't tell you, there is not, I'm going to say, there is not like proper science that tell you, hey, you need, you need a health insurance and you need to pay for it online and whatever. And in this hospital, we are only accept this, this health insurance and we don't accept this type of health insurance. So, you know, if you break your arm and you have this health insurance, then you're screwed. <laughs> they don't, yep. they don't tell you that. Yes, they don't tell you that. On the other side, um, during my immigration in Scotland, right now I'm in Scotland, I've noticed that the immigration system was actually very good. Things were very, very uh, well explained. As a matter of fact, I have uh, many user experience designers, friends that work for the government in Scotland. And they tell me it works very well. And if you go on the government site, you can see that these things are explained wonderfully. Um, the, the, the immigration process and how you should apply, uh, step one, step two, step three, what happens, how long you have to wait for. And also the medical healthcare works very well. And one of the things that I've noticed is that in Scotland, there is very few people. It's like right now I'm living in Glasgow. There is 500,000 people. So it's, it's not a lot. It's, it's very small. Well, in, Can in Canada or in the US, for example, there is, there is many, many people. Millions, millions condensed of people. Is that, I mean, maybe a silly question, but my, you know, noticing this is that maybe where there is more agglomerates, there is less caring for the people, more for the product. What do you think about that? Um, that's an interesting point of view. Um, I think that... Um, I, I don't think I know enough to make that statement. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do think that uh, the reason this problem exists is just ignorance of, about the problem. Um, when we work very closely with stakeholders at some of these organizations, um, they're deeply entrenched in their business. Um, their designers, their innovators are deeply entrenched in that. Um, and they know it so well that it's very hard to imagine that there is someone out there that doesn't know it, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't know how insurance work, uh, that doesn't know how credit cards work. Um, so ignorance, I think, is the, bit, is the most important problem. And I see where you're coming from that, you know, there's just so much um, firefighting mode that is going on all the time that there's so many customers mm. you're working with and so much you have to deal with that you don't think about this um but why it's important to surface up is it has a huge Im business impact it has impact in the sense that these newcomers are not necessarily a lot of time when people think about immigrants they think about people who you know, are not financially well off. Um, they're, uh, and that's just not true. They they want to interact with products and services. They are from a whole range, a diverse range of demographics. They have money to spend. Um, they will turn away from products and services that don't meet their needs and make them feel uncomfortable. So it's lost revenue. It's also um, 
very expensive when people make mistakes, um, especially in healthcare and finance. You know, you met, you mentioned earlier, you can get stuck with a bill, big bill. Um, it's very common in the U.S. for someone to not understand how insurance works and get stuck with a massive bill that they will spend a lifetime paying off. It's expensive for customers to fix that problem. And it's expensive for companies to fix problems because they have to then um, plan for their customers not being able to interact with their product or service by their own. So they'll need handholding. They'll have to spend on customer service uh, and spend a lot of time dealing with the questions customers have and then fixing any mistakes that might have made in the process of interacting with them. So that's one of the business reasons why people should care about this design lens. I think that's, uh, that's very well said. Uh, one of my next questions was actually going to be, how do you, how do you tell like, uh, people, um, you know, uh, why, why there is a business reasons for this. And that, that's pretty much, that pretty much says it all. I mean, there is so much, uh, lost revenue if you don't, if you don't do that, um, Sometimes there is like this controversial thing. Oh, design design is not needed for business. This is this is a case where actually um, making like workflows and journey maps for a business can actually be very beneficial. And this is where my next question actually is coming to. Um, I was wondering when you have as a strategist when you have. Um, a scenario like this where you know there is a very messy process which is most of the time <laughs> and um you need to you need to recreate the workflow uh you need to you need to make a step-by-step process and and explain it in a very very clear way so that the user doesn't doesn't have to um look for information it doesn't get confused anymore what are your usually your your first steps to this uh, to this approach what do you do mm-hmm um, so putting this uh, approach into practice, it's a, it's a multifold process and depends on what you're trying to solve for. Um, so firstly, we'll always start with research. Um, in MadPal, we do a lot of qualitative research. That may mean talking uh, to customers one-on-one, uh, interviewing them. It may be observing people in the environment and how they're uh, interacting with it. Uh, it could also be talking to stakeholders and subject matter experts and trying to get their input on the idea. So that helps understand the problem in a slightly more deeper way. How we then manifest that into the design processes uh, is you might do, for example, an empathy map. Um, An empathy map is a great way to synthesize what you've heard in the research um, and place down um, things about what what are the customers feeling, what are they saying, what are they doing, uh, what are their pain points, what are some opportunities there. That helps to synthesize especially understanding some of the cultural and language barriers and some of those differences. Um, One tool that I find very helpful um, is a journey map. Um, As a service designer, I am a huge advocate for and use journey maps very often in my work. It helps to understand how the experience unfolds over a period of time. There'll always be um, a period of getting introduced to the product or service, exploring whether that is right for you, interacting with it. And based on that first interactions, 
people either drop off, they don't want to touch that again, or they become repeat customers and users. And for some products and services, there'll be a down ramp period where they're done using it and they move on. Uh, they don't need it anymore. Um, these are the very high level ways of interacting with a product or service. And then within that, you can get into a lot of detail of what are the steps people do? Where do they seek information? Who do they talk to? Um, with journey maps, I've seen that even sometimes when they're research-based, there might be a lot of assumptions made on the knowledge of the customer or the user. So it helps to map um, and just put out there, what are our assumptions? If we say that this user will go to this website and, and find the next steps there, the assumption there is that that user will, first of all, have a computer, second of all, have access to an internet, and third of all, know what the website link is. Um, and then there's a fourth aspect is that they will be able to navigate that website. We focus too much on the fourth aspect, the navigation of the website, but there are a lot of assumptions that we need to plan for along the way as well. Um, so that helps to understand um, how the sequence plays out. And a great example of this is uh, the boston.gov website. Um, it's a government website, which is one of the best designs uh, websites I've seen. They lay out almost everything uh, related to the thing you're trying to do. So um, for example, there is a section on getting married at Boston City Hall. Um, and they have all the steps in there. First you do this, then you do that. You might want to look up this. You might want to go to this link, fill out this form. Um, and it's very nicely laid out so that there's no confusion for the user on what needs to be done. Hmm. I really like that. I might get married in Boston now. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, when I was, um, the other day I was on the MedPal uh, website and I was, uh, I was going through uh, some of the, some of the things and I was reading about something called uh, interactive journey maps, which I had never heard of that before. Um, do you know anything about it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was one of the first few people at MadPow who started looking at uh, interactive journey maps and uh, making that the way we like to communicate. Um, I mentioned early in our conversation that I worked with really large organizations on their customer experience plan. The, the sort of need to work with large, large organization means that we work with teams that are often not co-located. So they're not in one office. They might be spread across multiple offices uh, across, the, across the U.S. and sometimes across the world. Our journey maps tend to get very detailed. Um, they have a lot of information on them, uh, as they should. A journey map is a very detailed planning um, design artifact. We quickly realized that having a static journey map would mean very large printouts for us. We once printed a journey map that was 60 feet long. Uh, I am not exaggerating. That's the truth. <laughs> um, and that, that was when we realized that this is not sustainable. And especially if we want to have our clients uh, use this journey map going forward in the design solutions, we have to find a better way of um, letting them access it, letting them use it. So 
um, we worked on redesigning the client experience of looking at the journey map. Um, it's not, when we say interactive journey map, it's not just taking a map and making it digital. It's a very intentional process of looking at how someone interacts with uh, the detail within it. So our, our interactive journey maps might have collapsible phases, um, things that people can choose to turn on and off as they're looking at it, uh, and also things that they can look deeper into. So if you're seeing something on a journey and you want to see where the research is that supports that finding, you can click on it and you can see a little bit more about the research that led to that finding and that recommendation. We also build in additional details like um, more information on or on the strategy of the recommendation. So if you were to implement it, this is how it could look. Uh, these are some examples of uh, uh, other products that exist out there. So we layer in a lot of detail considering the usability of the journey map for the clients. Hmm. I like it. And so the, 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 the stakeholders of a, of a supposed project and clients actually have access to these uh, interactive uh, journey maps, right? That's right. Uh, mm -hmm. Once we're done, we'll probably give them access to it. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of it. Um, it's, very, it's very well thought, I have to say, because one of the problems with journey maps, it's exactly this, that you get too much information. And because you get too much information, sometimes you don't, you're not able to acquire that information properly. So what this does is that you see the information when you want it, where you need it, if you want it. That's true. Yeah. Yes. I like it. And especially now that uh, we've gone into this whole year of working remotely and people not collaborating um, real time in a space, it's important to move more towards these digital uh, journey maps and other design artifacts. Uh, we've done the same with one of our other creations, which is called uh, Impact. It's a persona creation toolkit. And we recently created a digital version of it to be able to support remote working. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, this is, um, is that the, the collaborative, the collaborative persona that you do um, with clients, right? Yes. Um, it's, a, it's something we've worked on for a very long time and refined as we've gone along. Um, so um, I'll, let me first explain what personas are. Um, in design, we like to personify who we are designing for. Um, and that helps to create a design direction, which actually solves for a human need. Um, we found that there are a lot of pitfalls to how personas are currently designed and a lot of reasons why they don't get the traction that they should within organizations. So we took the whole process apart and put it back together in a way that is more collaborative. It brings um, multiple people from different backgrounds and roles into the process. Um, it's not only for designers and it helps this multidisciplinary group look at the research together and synthesize the persona together. 
um, it's it it combines many different aspects apart from just personas. So, firstly, there is an understanding of the business need, uh, the project, or what are they trying to solve by making this persona. Secondly, it gets to the context of the person's um, mindset. Uh, so by understanding the event that they're in, it helps understand how people or the persona will behave in different situations. Um, thirdly, it gets to behavioral archetypes, which is a way of um, identifying personality traits that have a huge influence of how people interact with a product or service. Um, so someone could be very patient, while on the other end of that spectrum, someone could be very impatient. There could be another person, um, coming back to what we talked about earlier, there could be another person who could be very involved in their healthcare decision, while they could be another person who just wants the doctor to tell them what to do. Um, so by understanding these three different aspects, the business need, the context of the person's life, and the behavioral archetype, we can, um, at the end of an impact session, uh, land on the top things that the company needs to do to make that project a success for that persona. Hmm. And when you said um, the, the, impact, uh, the impact process, like... It could last. It could last like a week or a couple of weeks. I mean, it's a, it's a collaborative, like um, iterative process. That's the beauty of it. Um, the the research can last longer, uh, so we always recommend that you don't cut out the research. But the process of building the persona can actually take three to six hours to build um, one to three personas. So it's actually pretty fast. Um, especially if teams are working on um, healthcare and finance, because our kit comes with um, big life events we've seen that influences healthcare and finance decisions. They also come with ready-made uh, behavioral archetypes uh, or attribute spectrums that then it's a matter of teams just saying, oh, this is important, that is important. We heard this in the research. We did not hear this in the research. And this is important to our business goals. So they pick and choose and basically just compile a persona using the kit. Yes, I, I love this idea of um, bringing designers and other departments together in a way that there is more collaboration, more communication, more, there is more bringing together the people under certain requirements that are whether business or research or whatever, whatever, whatever other needs that you have. Sometimes, you know, I mentioned that to you before, we get we get caught up too much in our work and we forget to ask other people's opinions and you know i think what you're doing it's great and and uh, i really i really appreciate that um sharing that with us absolutely yeah and i, I think that if any of your listeners are interested in becoming strategists and we would probably be interested in knowing that uh, a big part of a strategist's work in design is to gain that alignment, is to make sure that you're speaking to different people involved in that product or service and making sure that it's the design is not expert-led, that it's user-led. It's created together with everyone who will be using it as well as bringing it into being. Um, so that's a big part of a strategist's role.
Absolutely. That's the beauty of it. I love it. I might become a strategist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, 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 still, uh, I'm still deciding what I want to become. Um, we'll see in the next few years. I have a couple <laughs> of wrap-up questions. I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite um, methodology that you use? You know, I, pro- I probably know the answer already, but I'm still going to ask you. What is your favorite methodology that you would use in order to identify a workflow and visualize it to customers? Yep. Um, I think, I guess you thought I would say journey map, and uh, that is true. <laughs> but um, I, I think that a journey map is definitely a very important tool that all companies looking to innovate should look at doing. But in addition to that, I think a service blueprinting um, activity is extremely important as well. Um, Service blueprinting is understanding the systems and processes that are behind the scenes that bring that journey into being. So while the journey is customer facing or user facing what the customer is gonna see, the blueprint is the business. Uh, the blueprint is who is involved. Uh, what are they doing behind the scenes that the customer can't see? What are the tools they're using? Um, what are the ways that they're communicating with each other? So it's like, I think of an iceberg and the customer experience is the tip of the iceberg and the blueprint is everything below and it's huge and it's massive. Um, since I have, um, you mentioned my MBA earlier, it's in operations. Um, I think that is a very good lens that I bring to service design of under, deeply understanding operations and aligning them to create that perfect service. Amazing. So time ago, I was talking to a friend of mine that um, is a designer in uh, San Francisco and, and deals pretty, pretty often with people that are business driven. And she was telling me, you know, although you're just a designer here, you still need to be very aware of the business needs in companies. Even though you're not a strategist, you're just a digital product designer, or whatever your need is, you still need to be aware of what the business needs are because that's what you're designing for at the end of the day. And you need to be aware of some of the operations behind it. You have Absolutely. lots of knowledge. So, I mean... You have a very, very good understanding, which is great. Last, last question for, for, um, this is for the new brand designers. What is, what is the tools that you're using the most, uh, now for workshops and strategy, any tips for new tools? Yeah. Um, I'm using everything (laughs) because I'm a consultant. A lot of the tools that I use are driven by, um, what the client has and what their teams can use. Um, so I use everything. I, I've, I use the Adobe suite. I use sketch, um, envision, um, a lot. I use mural. I use Miro. I use envision freehand. Um, but, uh, my favorite is something that a colleague introduced me to a few weeks, uh, a few months back is Figma. Um, F-I-G-M-A. Um, you're nodding, so you must have heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's combines uh, benefits from different platforms um, into one. Um, it's free, so anyone can use it, and it's just excellent. It's a very I think it'll disrupt the whole industry. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. 
I also use Figma quite a bit. I haven't followed up with the latest features. I'm pretty sure they made some new features for these remote um, periods. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they did. But yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, you can also make um, responsive, responsive designs out of Figma. If you need to make uh, responsive codes, I think the generator it also generates code. If I'm, if I'm correct. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't do a lot of UX design anymore, but yes, that's uh, true. you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The UX design was in another life. Yeah. <laughs> Great. We'll put a, we'll put a link uh, of Figma in the, in the description of the audio. Thanks uh, so much for listening, everybody. And uh, Priyama, if, want, if someone uh, wanted to be a strategist, if someone is an expired strategist, how can they contact you for, for some uh, tips or just a couple of questions? Uh, LinkedIn is the best. Um, you're welcome to post a link to my LinkedIn. Um, fortunately, I have a unique enough name that if you even Googled me, you'll find everything there is to know about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but LinkedIn is the best and I'm always open to hearing from uh, aspiring strategists. Great. New strategies. Contact Priyama and uh, see you next time. Thanks so much for, for coming. I appreciate your time again and uh, talk soon. Thank you, Alicia. <laughs>